Can the receivers get far enough down the field? Rodgers in trouble. It's going to get there. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Richard Rodgers with a walk-off touchdown. A game-ender for the Packers. Disbelief at Ford Field. The Packers saved by the face mask call, given one last chance. And Aaron Rodgers heaves it as far as he can. And Richard Rodgers boxing out in the end zone for the touchdown. to the Gridiron Show and uh, in association with sports, travel tours and uh, well, words have completely failed me, Ollie Hunter. Oh, just, just get on with the show. This is indeed Will Gavin with... Your Gridiron Show and Ollie Hunter is on the line with me. Ollie, how are you doing, sir? Oh, my God, wow. We are, of course, referring to the huge news from the NFL tonight that on Sunday the Rams are going to be starting Nick Foles. <laughs> you can't do this uh, fake faking me off again. Of really course, hard. we don't mean that. We don't mean that. What I'm talking about is Tim Kawakimi from Mercury Sports News writing that he's getting some word of possible massive chaos in the 49ers front office. Hashtag massive. No, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. No, of course I'm referring to perennial, boring, vanilla, nonsense band Coldplay doing the halftime show of the Super Bowl. It certainly won't be paradise for me and Ollie. I just threw up a bit. No, of course what I'm talking about is the Packers being 79 yards away from the end zone with six seconds left of Thursday Night Football, and they won! Aaron Rodgers' touchdown pass, his first ever successful Hail Mary, was the longest come-from-behind game-ending touchdown pass since Earl Morrill threw a 65-yarder for the Lions against the Colts in 1960. As, as Nance said, if this was Dallas, that throw was so high it would have hit the scoreboard. Rodgers won just his first game. He's 1-26 when trailing nine points at the half. The last time the Packers scored zero in the first half was the Fail Mary game, and for the third straight primetime game in a row, it ends on a winning touchdown play. Ollie Hunter, absolute insanity in Michigan. In Michigan, <laughs> <laughs> it, really, it really was. I mean, it was unbelievable. The face mask. It was, and for those people that don't, um, who don't agree, you're wrong. It was a definite face mask. Well, one hundred percent. I mean, obviously, and you would say that based on your Packers bias, but I, I will say, well, first of all, it's the second time it, this season. Only five times in NFL history is a defensive penalty led to a game being won after the clock has hit zeros. Just five times. Twice it's happened this season. Of course, the first time the Blake Bortles face mask, which led 
to the Jason Myers field goal, which won the Jags game over the Ravens right at the death. And then this one as well. And it was a face mask because it wasn't a face mask, but, mask, but it was. Does that make sense? No. Explain yourself. Because uh, technically, on the slow-mo replay, when you see it back, he catches the shoulder rather than the face mask. But if you're an official and you're watching that at full speed, as Dean Blandino tweeted, and you see his hand come around, catch the face mask, uh, catch the face area, Rogers gets moved away. It looks absolutely like a face mask in real time. The problem is, and I've whinged about this recently, and I've whinged about it a lot of times before, those plays aren't reviewable. You can't challenge, I mean, you can't challenge a play in, uh, after the two-minute warning anyway, but you can't challenge that kind of play, and it's a non-reviewable play. Uh, anything like um, uh, a personal foul, professional, anything like that can't be reviewed. And if it could have been reviewed, maybe we wouldn't have seen the end of this game, but aren't we glad we did? Yeah, of course, but I think there was enough... There wasn't enough anyway for it to be overturned if it were to be reviewed. You know, I think it was you saw the uh, Taylor's finger go into the, the face mask of Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers' head was turned. Definite, definite foul. Um, and then this just incredible scramble from Rodgers on that last ditch, last gasp play, rolling out to the right, buying time for his receivers to then be able to get into the end zone. And then he throws the ball. About 78 yards. It's, I mean, it's just ludicrous. Richard Rogers, he was meant to be there for, um, for the tip down, uh, probably Devontae Adams. Luckily, it didn't get to Devontae Adams. He wouldn't have caught it anyway in the first place. Uh, Rogers managed to back in, came down with the, the football. Randall Cobb, James Jones were there, fell on him pandemonium it was just unbelievable Look, what, a, what an absolutely insane game overall because the fact is the Packers have now moved to eight and four and they'd lost four of their last five before this game the Lions slipped to four and eight having won three straight I mean if you think back to that game in Seattle and actually this was pointed out to me uh, on Twitter by Josh Hunter ahead of all of this madness happening when there was 17 nothing up and it genuinely looked like the Lions were gonna go all the way he said serious question it's a horrible decision Seattle going to cast cost Detroit the playoffs Don't don't forget if they'd won tonight and they'd won that to horrible decision that game in seattle they'd have been going six and six today and mm. they'd have been in with a real chance of the wild card instead they slipped to four and eight jim caldwell is more likely to be coaching the bc lions than the detroit lions next season uh it's kind of killed their season off on those two big calls so i do feel bad for lions fans but i'm delighted that a packers team who we know have the ability to get hot and we know have the ability to do well in the playoffs i've uh, pulled something amazing out i mean they're calling it the miracle of motown and it absolutely deserves one of those kind of tags it's going to be one of those plays which is remembered for years and years to come yeah and replayed and replayed and if if uh green bay do go on to the super bowl they won't because they're not i think they're probably the fourth or fifth best team in the nfc let alone the nfl if they do make it this will be one of those moments that just gets replayed over and over and over. I mean, it was just an absolutely mad game. Green Bay were horrendous in the first half. I mean, absolutely awful. Went down 20 to nothing. This is the third, uh, the fourth biggest, sorry, um, comeback victory of, of all time in Packers history. Uh, 20 points. Um, and however bad Green Bay were in the first half, Detroit matched that in the second half. They could get anything going. Um, the, the Green Bay defense just managed to to make a play, um, 
make a play on uh, Matt Stafford in the second half. The, the Julius Pappas stripped uh, strip sack yeah. was the absolute turning point of the game. I know you just scored a, a touchdown before that, but Detroit. I mean, after you went to seventeen for uh, twenty fourteen, even they ended up settling for the field goal. But the, the Lions drove down the field. It was a six and a half minute drive. Um, they had the one big completion on third down when it looked like the drive might be dead. But otherwise, that was a really impressive building drive. And Jim Bob Cooter has done a really good job since coming in there, getting Calvin Johnson involved, getting the run game involved. Amir Abdullah's been showing some flashes. I think Theo Riddick is very underrated as both a ca- pass-catching back, but also in pass protection. There was one blitz, in fact, on the, um, the third down completion. He picked up uh, a blitz on that, which was an incredible bit of pass protection on a guy who was twice his size. So they, they didn't, they had bit moments in that second half, but they just couldn't quite get it done and I think that's going to be the issue for the Lions you look back at that Seahawks game as well as they're just not a team who get over the line and a lot of people calling for Jim Caldwell's head tonight on Twitter for not being more aggressive in the second half for not getting a touchdown for not putting the game out of reach but also on that final play and Caldwell came out himself afterwards and said that he was expecting a lateral play well the fact is first of all it's Aaron Rodgers the lateral is much less actually on a percentage basis a lateral is much less likely to work than a Hail Mary but what he did was he was expecting the lateral so he stuck two defenders right out on the uh, on the touch lines either side on a play with no time left, as if he's marking the sidelines in case they decide to run an out route or something. He obviously, what he's trying to do is cover the edges. So if they did go for the lateral, they'd have guys out there. But what it led to was a five-on-five situation in the end zone. And as you say, Richard Rodgers was in there specifically to block out players um, who, who were rushing back and then also get the tip-down ball. But he realised that if he took the steps back into the end zone, he'd catch it. He had the protection of the receivers behind him. And the other thing is, by going for the lateral play from a Jim Caldwell perspective, they didn't have Calvin Johnson in the game, who normally is on the hands team, who yeah. who actually we've seen him intercept passes on two separate occasions on Hail Mary passes, because he's such a big guy with such good hands. Calvin Johnson wasn't in there, and maybe he's the sort of guy who could have caught that ball over Richard Rogers. So, they made a a bad call in that situation. Didn't trust their team that if the Packers went for the lateral, that they could move up and make the tackle. And, yeah, Detroit, it's a horrible way for their season to end, but this is the end of their season. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think they're done. Um, four and eight. Yeah, they can't come back to this, and uh, it just we'll just see what they do now uh, when it comes to trying to um, get the best draft position that they can. And what happens to Jim Caldwell at the end of the season? I should think he probably goes because uh, the progress hasn't been um, hasn't been there, and there were some fundamental things that he got wrong, like that final play. I mean, we saw Kobe Fleener uh, from the Colts; he was brought in on the hands team on uh, uh, last week. I think it was last week, yeah, and against the Bucks, or maybe in the two weeks before. But either way, uh, Kobe Fleener came up with that play. Calvin Johnson, you've got to think a guy of that talent would have done so as well. Um, yeah, absolute madness. And one of the best things about it. Uh, Richard Rogers Sr. was the guy, or one of the guys, who lateraled twice in that Cal Stanford game in 1982. In the band with, uh, play, with, yeah, amazing. Yeah, the band on the field. So it's the, the parallels are crazy. I, there's um, there's some odder things uh, to be said. I mean, there, there were we had things like Jeff Janis, Jared Abaderis. We saw that they're trying to work something else out with the receivers. But Rogers beyond just that heaved touchdown which was a great throw he hit his mark he did everything he had to do but at the end of the day it's a Hail Mary and like I said that's the first one of his career sometimes those situations don't work out in fact most of the time those situations don't work out but the two drives 
the one to put you 20 to 7 down then uh, obviously uh, you've got the um, you've got the turnover and he made the 17 yard run uh, into the end zone those uh, plays and that drive were really good heads up football from Rodgers it was far from his best game but it really showed that he's a guy who can drag them up when he's playing at his best and I think this was much closer to his best I, I just the ending I we just say it one last time absolutely just blew me away i just oh, i couldn't i literally couldn't speak i i it's uh it's of course it's late night uh, early morning i jumped up um screamed shouted and uh definitely woke up my neighbors who bashed on the door uh, i'd like, also like to point out with green bay 17 to nothing down i thought uh, you lived in a hobbit hole i do live in a hobbit hole uh, with green bay 17 so, uh, to nothing why down, you got neighbors yeah the other side I didn't think Hobbit Holes had neighbours because they're in those funny little mounds. Ah, shut your face. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. I did put on, I, I put on my white uh, number 12 Rogers jersey at halftime and said, and you can check it out on Twitter, at uh, yeah. Tommy Hunter. It's there. I think I was the person that managed to make Green Bay win. Yeah, you had some genuine faith. I did I did see, maybe not the, the fact that you're wearing that, but I did see some people were ready to give up, and I saw you tweeting them, you know, making it known that they, uh, yeah, that, that you still had the faith, you still thought you could do it, and fair play to you, Ollie, for that, because I wouldn't have stuck with my team in that situation. Well, uh, yeah, because you're a fair-weather fan. Uh, <laughs> Brilliantly. John Bon Jovi says, keep the faith. You're a disgrace. You yes, like I John Bon Jovi, but you don't like Bruce Springsteen. I you're don't a, like John Bron You're a bon disgust. Jovi. You've been seeing him live, haven't you? Yeah, but I had to go. You're a disgrace. You're a disgrace. Yeah, probably. I just don't get Bruce Springsteen. What can I do? Don't uh, have a go. Uh, I'm having a go. It's too late. Uh, I did. I put on the NFL UK Facebook group as well just some expletives and uh, saying it was rare I've ever been left genuinely speechless by a play. But uh, uh, oh, I thought I, you meant about me not liking Bruce. No, Springsteen. no, no, no. I didn't put that on there. Oh, the hunter's a disgrace. He doesn't like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit uh, harsh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> You're a disgrace. Uh, this is great banter. No, what I put on there was um, a thing about, uh, you know, I'm left genuinely spe speechless, F me, I love football, all that sort of thing. Gavin Jones replied saying, I'm in trouble. I was trying to stay quiet. Seems I didn't manage to and woke the wife and kids up. Uh, and <laughs> I just, much like you with your uh, with your neighbours, and I was thinking back to the NFC divisional game 2012, the Saints 49ers game, where the, um, where the lead changed four times in the fourth quarter. One of the great playoff games of the last 10 years or so my now wife at the time girlfriend had an exam for her university the following morning part of her teaching degree um and yeah i was in the dog doghouse for a long time after that game but you're, you've been in the doghouse quite a lot with uh, with sarah most of the last eight years yeah. But I just want to point out that's not because my wife is a difficult woman or a nutbag. I've totally deserved it on every occasion. Yeah, on every occasion. Uh, punching well above your weight. Absolutely. We should mention, uh, we, we mentioned it very briefly, Coldplay are going to be performing during the halftime of Super Bowl 50. Oh, it's all right, we can go to hot dogs and stuff at halftime, it's fine, mate. Uh, but what is interesting is they're doing full Super Bowl 50. They are the present acts. There will also be past acts and future acts worked into the show as well. So it's not going to be all Coldplay. I mean, I, you know, they are one of the biggest bands in the world, even if you don't like their music, which neither me nor Ollie is particularly bothered by them. I've seen them live quite a few times because I happen to bump into them at music festivals. I've never paid to go and specifically see them. But over the years, I've seen them and they're not a bad live band. They're just a bit dull. But 
I'm hoping some of those past bands, what they do is, is they find some of the greats from the last 10, 15 years. So, I mean, maybe a Springsteen. I know that's not one for you, but maybe, you know, Perry. The Who, McCartney, not Katy Perry, sh- dreadful. Beyonce. Katy Perry was amazing. She wasn't amazing. Dreadful. She can't You're sing. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's, so that just shows you how good she was. What everyone remembers from that performance is the left shark. It's like Janet Jackson. No one remembers the music. They just remember her tit. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, and that sparkly sun that was on her nipple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we yeah. we haven't really talked about the show yet. You are listening. I I got so involved at the beginning with the miracle in Motown, and we've managed to do about ten minutes on it. But we should say welcome to the Gridiron Show with Will Gavin and Ollie Hunter. Uh, check us out as always at Gridiron Online, Gridiron-Magazine.com. Do your predictor game. You can stream the shows on there. Go and look at pa- uh, past shows as well. Um, uh, all that good stuff, and of course, sports travel tour, sports travel for sports fans by sports fans. They've got some really exciting stuff coming up if you're interested in going to bowl games and you're finding yourself a little bit flush around christmas i know not a lot of our fans have got that kind of cash but there are people who you know have saved up they want to go and watch some college football they're doing great deals on the bowl games right now so go to sportstraveltours.com to find out more information about that Coming up on today's show, we've got, uh, we're going to be looking forward. We've done Thursday Night Football, I think, in enough depth as it needs to be right now. Yes, I agree. Uh, good, do- good news. We've got uh, a full slate of weekend games to look forward to. So I have a suggestion, Ollie, of how we're going to do this. And I'm, okay. I, I'm putting this on you a little bit. But what we used to do towards the tail end of last season when there were lots of games played, but there were some games that weren't as exciting is we picked out a game of choice from the 6 o'clock games, a game of choice from the 9 o'clock games each, and then talked about the primetime games. And then we go back and we'll just quickly skim through the rest of the games, talk about the important points. How do you feel about that? That sounds perfect to me. Great stuff. And then we're going to tail off today's uh, podcast. We've got a great interview. And I can't believe we've not mentioned this up until now. But uh, for a piece that Matt Sherry's doing for the next Gridiron magazine, which I've, I've read an early draft of, excellent stuff, uh, comparison of between Favre's early years in the league, when, of course, he had his troubles at Atlanta, uh, compared with Johnny Manziel's early uh, time in the league. Uh, and it's uh, interesting looking at the two. Now, uh, Neither he nor we are suggesting that Johnny Manziel has the arm or the overall skill and ability of uh, of the the future Hall of Famer in Brett Favre. But so it, why are we making the why are we making the comparison then? Because of the so off the, the point in this is the interesting off the field stuff. But what it has given us the opportunity to do <laughs> is speak with a defensive legend, uh, somebody who orchestrated one of the all time great defenses with the seventy seven grits blitz in Atlanta. So aggressive. Uh, there, uh, he tells some great stories on it. In fact, I'm not going to ruin it now. It is former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons and of the Houston Oilers, Jerry Glanville, who of course was Favre's coach his first year in the NFL at Atlanta before he got traded to Green Bay nice it's a really it's a really good interview and really good fun and so what we'll do we'll put that on the end of the podcast once we've rounded everything else up and we've done all of that and yada 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 so let's take a moment and then we'll come back and uh, talk about the week 13 are we on week 13 already week 13 it's oh man yeah uh, so quickly let's take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about the week 13 games Top stuff early. So are you ready, Uli? I called you Uli then. Uli's... <laughs> My ski instructor when I was uh, <laughs> I was going to say, that's mental. I was going to say Uli sounds like the name of a German ski instructor. Well, no, my Italian ski instructor when I was about 14, 15 on school trips used to call me Uli, Uli, because it couldn't work out Ollie, Ollie. <laughs> there you go. I once uh, I went on a school trip with my um, my best man at my wedding, Steve, who you, of course, met at my wedding, uh, who's just announced that he is having his first child. 
in May. Oh, wow, incredible. So that's exciting stuff. Uh, well, he won't be listening to this because he doesn't like football. No, <laughs> quite, but it's but okay. What's the point in that? Uh, well, you know, just a bit of love. Um, but we, he went... told me this off it. And this is that, that wasn't the point of this story the point of this story was a thing about an italian exchange trip uh we went over to in fact i didn't go because i didn't do art because i'm not an idiot uh but he went over to florence for an art trip either at gcse or a level i can't remember which and they had a an italian person who introduced them around and, and took them to the uh, museums and stuff and and was kind of their guide for the couple of days they were there and he steve is this very affable guy a little bit like you and when he goes to somewhere new he wants to learn a bit of the language and he wants to kind of get involved and he wants to kind of show that little bit of je ne sais quoi if you will so he um uh, he asked the guy i know it is but i don't know what it is in italian <laughs> he uh, he asked the guy are there any phrases he should learn is there anything he should know if he's going to be talking to the local Locals. And the guy told him, uh, yeah, a, a really nice, friendly, colloquial greeting is Fafangula. So Steve, oh, so Steve goes around uh, Florence for two days saying Fafangula to everyone he meets, comes back to uh, comes back to the UK to our school. And we had uh, a lovely old Italian music teacher called uh, Mr. Sapetti. And he went to Mr. Sapetti for our first music lesson after he got back and just went, Ah, Sapetti, Fafangula! <laughs> and Mr. Sapetti just went, Stephen! No! And Steve went, uh, What's the problem? He went, uh, Literal translation to take a man's ass and f it. <laughs> And for three days, Steve had been saying this to literally every Italian person that he could possibly meet. That's, that was my story. I thought it was a good one. That's a great story. Why, why didn't they tell him that's what it meant? I, I don't know. I, I, maybe everyone was kind of in on the joke. Ah, stupid British guy. Fafangula. Um, yeah, we keep saying it. Do you now need to bleep out Fafangula? No, I won't bleep out that. I'll bleep out when I, when I said the other one, but I, uh, I won't bleep out that because it's fine. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't think we've got a huge listenership in Italy. I can look it up and tell you if you really want me to. No, 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 I don't want to, know. Right, let's go through our picks of the games for this weekend and then we'll rattle through everything else. So, from the six o'clock kickoffs, there's only one game for me. I can't believe that this hasn't been in some way flexed into a later game because it's an absolute stonker, particularly after the results last weekend. And that is the six and five Seattle Seahawks, second in the NFC West, travelling to the north topping Minnesota Vikings, eighth. Although I guess they're not top of the north anymore, are they? Because you'll be ahead of them on head to head. Okay, the second-placed no, no, no. NFC that, North yeah. team uh, in the Minnesota Vikings, 8-3. and three. We'll work it out. Uh, whilst the Vikings are in position to make a run at the only title that would, uh, would satisfy Mike Zimmer, the Seahawks have been forced to continue their playoff push without their top offensive weapon. Jimmy Graham is going to be out of the rest of the season with his patella tendon. Minnesota rebounded from a disappointing home loss to Green Bay with that 20-10 victory at equally disappointing Atlanta last week, winning six in seven games to reclaim initially sole possession of first place, a spot they haven't held this late in the season since they won the division 12 and 4 back in 2009. Uh, this is a fascinating game of football. Uh, it's a stumbling defense in the form of the Seahawks who have given up a lot of points and an offense who have suddenly come to life. I mean, I spent a lot of time waxing lyrical about Russell Wilson on the last podcast, but really. He's shown me in the last two games something he's never shown me before. But the Vikings have got this stout, young, exciting defence, good against the run. Linville Joseph can, will do a great job of stopping Thomas Rawls coming up the middle, I believe. And then Xavier Rhodes had his best game of the weekend. They've got those good young linebackers who are doing such a good job. Anthony Barr has been incredible. Whilst their offence looks, uh, you know, 
average good but average and this is a game that i really do find to be a coin flip but a really positive way not a coin flip because i can't tell between two very mediocre teams these are two <laughs> good good football teams but i'm leaning towards saying adrian peterson has a big game and the vikings win at home oh i think i think the seahawks are just on an upward curve and um I think the Vikings struggle against the good teams. Uh, they've only managed to beat poor teams, and the one team that they were that they, they did face, uh, or one of the teams that they did face with a good good record, uh, Green Bay recently they lost and at home. And the, well, the only teams they faced over five hundred, other than that, is the Falcons. And the Falcons, if you take their record since week six, is one and five. So, yeah. <laughs> so and they they've de- certainly imploded. I, I, I can't see anything, despite Jimmy Graham, but he wasn't used that much. Luke Wilson, um, double L for those that are trying to find him on fantasy. Um, he uh, he will plug in, and they didn't. You know, he's very familiar with that offense anyway. I, yeah, I, Thomas Rules is, is stonking. I know that defense, that Minnesota defense, has really stepped up. But something about the Seahawks, just, I just think that the Seahawks will do it. Their offense has come alive, of course, with 100 points over the last three games, including that 39 points over the Steelers and the big point score in the loss against the Cardinals as well, of course. So there's, there's, there's indication that the Seahawks could win this. And like I say, it's a bit of a coin flip, but I'm just currently slightly leaning towards the Vikings. I might change my mind by Sunday. Uh, which of the six o'clock games were you focusing on, Ollie Hunter? I, I like the New York Derby. Ooh. I love the New York Derby, but, um, you know, even though it's going to be played in New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love all of that stuff. Do you um, approve of being called the New York the Derby? Uh, no, I do not like that. <laughs> Derby. Derby. Um, I don't like that. Do not like that. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have a bit James Brown at the end? <laughs> um, yeah, the last two times the New York Jets and the New York Giants met, um, the Giants ended up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, that was in 2007 and 2011. Um, I don't think that's going to happen this year. The Jets have been actually a Jekyll and Hyde team, a Jettle and Hyde team, if you will. Uh, no, you won't. I don't. I really don't. No, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Steve, Stephen Adams tweeted us, because we really don't know about the New York Giants. Well, Stephen Adams tweeted us saying, whoever wins the NFC East, I think, will go to the conference game. Hysterical! Hysterical! If there's ever been a more fitting situation to play that music, I don't know what it is. Isn't it the NFC disgrace now, anyway? It is. That's exactly what it is and what it deserves to be. And uh, it deserves to be. The Giants... They are playing really poorly. They're 28th in the league on rushing yards per game. Uh, the Jets have an incredible rush defense, although they didn't quite show it last weekend. But um, I, the, the, the Giants are the designated home team. Um, they'll have slightly more fan, fans than the Jets, but I'm leaning towards the Giants' win. Odell Beckham, uh, Eli Manning, they can't be as bad as they were last week. They, they really can't be. I mean, Washington that sh- absolutely blew them apart. However, <laughs> it's, it swings around about us. Because, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I know exactly which way I'm going with this one. You're going Jets. I'm going to take the New York Giants. 
And the oh, reason okay. I'm going to take the New York Football Giants is uh, because Revis Island, Darrell Revis, is working through the NFL's concussion protocol after missing last Sunday's game, and is unlikely to be playing again this Sunday. Marcus Williams started in his place, had a good game, recorded his fifth interception, but then joined Revis on the injury list with a knee sprain. He is uncertain for this weekend's game, which means uh, Odo Beckham's been covered by Antonio Cromartie, who's one of the streakiest players in the NFL. He goes from brilliant one week to terrible the next. Yeah. I think Odell Beckham has a huge game here at home, um, and uh, the Giants <laughs> win out. Yeah, well, considering I need to make up some games upon you, I say uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has a, a monster day. That Giants rush defense isn't great, despite um, JPP being back. Uh, Chris Ivory's going to get it going. Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker... I'm going Jets win. Those New York Jets and those beautiful white and green uniforms. Love them. Brandon Marshall uh, will figure on the other side of the ball uh, against that poor giant secondary. And he is just uh, 69 yards from recording his 8,000 yard season of his career. So he's wow. having a great year as well. Nine o'clock games. Ollie, let's go to you first. Which are the nine o'clock games? Which, let's be honest, this week, the nine o'clock games, they're... There are a lot of games which probably looked really strong on paper at the start of the season, which now you're a little bit meh about. Yeah, well, so what have uh, you picked? I mean, we go through Denver at Chargers. Um, I don't know why I've done it like that. Broncos at Chargers, Chiefs at Raiders, <laughs> Panthers at Saints, Eagles at Pats. I don't want to pick the Pats because they're playing the Eagles, which is disgusting. That's going to be a blowout, even with exactly. no offensive players. They're going to literally be playing third stringers at almost every position on the offense, uh, from tackle to running back to receiver to tight end. And yet, they're with Tom Brady, the number one under, or number 12, obviously, but number one quarterback under center, they'll probably just thrash them. In fact, that counts as our Eagles preview, right? Yeah, we don't have to talk about that ever again. We're oh. both going Patriots. <laughs> um, but it's got to be the Panthers. Panthers who are 11-0. and 11-0. and It's incredible. I mean, who would have thought that? No one would have thought that at the beginning of the season. Hey, when Absolutely. I ate humble pie earlier this week, I openly said that my, uh, my Panthers call preseason that they were going to struggle and not take the division was as wrong as they come. Yeah, you and, um, and probably a lot of other people. Least, yeah, and, and likewise myself. That defense, what um, Ron Rivera et al. have been doing with that defense has just been nothing short of incredible. The way that Cam Newton is, um, he's been, do you know what he's been a bit like? He's been a bit, a bit like Tom Brady. He's making the sum of the parts around him better than what they are. And he himself has been playing incredibly, uh, rushing, um, his his rushing prowess, uh, the amount of touchdowns he scores through the, um, through his legs, the amount he he does through the air um, to, quite frankly, a really poor um, supporting cast. But he's making them look good. I know it's in the Superdome. I was going to say uh, we've not even mentioned their opponents yet. They're traveling to the four and seven New Orleans Saints. So actually, you're not watching this one for it being competitive. You're just watching it for the pure quality you're going to see on one side of the ball. Yeah, because this New Orleans Saints defense, despite getting rid of Rob Ryan, is disgusting. It makes <laughs> me feel sick even thinking about it, how bad they are. And Cam Newton is going to have an absolute monster field day. Drew Brees, he's blowing hot and cold. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, laughing just you laughed at my own, my own pun. But Brees is, 
is blowing hot and cold. Sometimes he could be great, sometimes not. Um, I expect a, a Carolina Panthers win. You're the NFC disgrace of this podcast. I'm also obviously taking a Panthers win. They will clinch a third consecutive division title. Don't forget the NFC South prior to the last season had never had a team win it back to back. They could win their third consecutive division title with a win or a tie against New Orleans or if Atlanta lose or tie at Tampa Bay. So basically, they will end the day as division champs. Wow, yes, I think so. Our first confirmed playoff team. Uh, what's, your, what's your game, Will, that you would uh, like to highlight out of those late, later kickoffs? Uh, again, I'm looking for the quality on one side of the ball, but actually it's a much more competitive game as the 6 and 5 Kansas City Chiefs travel to the 5 and 6 Oakland Raiders. Oakland were on a three-game slide prior to last week, but they've pulled their finger out against the Tennessee Titans, uh, had a big uh, offensive uh, game, well, a game-winning drive followed by a game-winning interception uh, to win that one 24-21. Chiefs have now won five in a row. Five in a row. The problem with doing musical ones is because you're coming down over Skype. I can't keep them going. So they'll just have to deal with our lovely singing voices. Um, they, ch- they head to Oakland, as I say, having won five in a row. Um, might have a slightly uh, depleted lineup uh, compared with the last time these two teams faced. But I, the replacement running backs are doing brilliantly. The pass rush is so good. Uh, I, yeah, I, they are an exciting team to watch at the moment. And even... Even Alex Smith, who's connecting with Jeremy Macklin in a way that we really hoped he would, they seem to have got a really good connection over the last three or four games. He's finally throwing the ball deep uh, against this below-average Raiders secondary. That could be really key. I do like the Raiders' pass rush. You'll hear from Jerry Glanville later on talking about how much he likes the Raiders' pass rush and how often they blitz. Uh, he, he's really, really keen on them. Um, and without uh, Eric Fisher at left tackle and without Mitch Morse, who's out with a concussion, um, you know, they could get to the Chiefs. But overall, I have to take the road team in this one and say Kansas go to 7-5. and five. I would love Kansas to go seven and five, but given that their frailty on the offensive line, I mean, it, it could be that they'll have to plug in a, a tight end or maybe even a defensive lineman. That's something <laughs> that we saw with um, with Green Bay. I tweeted it out last um, uh, last night. Oh, uh, sorry, earlier this we, morning. We didn't even mention that you lost four out of your five offensive line starters during the game. It's- Unbelievable. I mean, absolutely unbelievable. And even, uh, I think Josh Sitton was the only one that was still left. So the O-line has has, um, has crumbled. Uh, you know, being a Thursday night game, Green Bay need those 10 days to get at least two or three of them back. But And that's the same with Kansas City. And when you've got to go up against um, Khalil Mack, who's having a stonking season, um, I worry for the Chiefs. I really do. This is such a tough game to call because of that. But Kansas City Chief defense against Derek Carr, who's looked a little bit frail over the last two or three weeks, I'm going to have to take the Chiefs, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think you're making just about the right decision. I think you're absolutely right about the front seven for Oakland does look really impressive. It's just the secondary kind of worries me. And before Axe Smith started throwing the ball, who knew that was going to be an issue? All uh, right, two primetime games to talk about. Can these primetime games also be ended on a game-winning touchdown, much like our last three have? 
Let's find out this weekend. The Indianapolis Colts at 6-5 and five travel to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Also at 6-5, and five, Colts sit atop of the AFC South, while the Steelers obviously sit behind the dominant Bengals in the AFC North. Andrew Luck may be drawing closer to a return, but it looks most likely they're going to be running with 4-0 and starter Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, on the other side of the ball, there's some confusion about Roethlisberger's condition. The Steelers are happy to learn that he has been cleared to play, but there was a lot of, is he on concussion protocol? Isn't he on concussion protocol? We really didn't know the good news is he's due to start uh Hasselbeck we said he'll try and prove to 5-0 and starter he completed 26 of 41 for 315 yards and two touchdowns on Sunday against Tampa Bay didn't throw a pick but Ben Roethlisberger had a huge game against uh, the Seahawks in their house was unlucky to come away from that game with the loss and I genuinely feel like outside of Tom Brady there's nobody playing the position better than him when he's fit I'm taking the Steelers to break Hasselbeck's streak. Yes. Steelers are a different <laughs> proposition at home. Uh, although they, they ran um, Seattle close last weekend. Uh, if Even with Jarvis Landry, it's not, it's not Jarvis Landry, Landry Jones. We do that every <laughs> single time. Just one of us does that every single just, time. Just confirm, four and two at home, two and three on the road this season. So you're right, they're better at home. Yeah, so... Um, even with even even with, with Landry, Jones, um, or Landry Jarvis Jones. Landry or Jarvis Jones, who knows? Who, Jarvis, whoever Jarvis that Jones guy is, person. I feel like he uh, is. The, with the weapons that they've got, Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant, Marcus Wheaton had an incredible um, career day last week. I wouldn't expect that again. Um, and also D'Angelo Williams. I think that makes up for their. And, and although actually the, their defense has been playing a little bit better, better than. A lot of people thought people thought actually the Steelers' defense at the beginning of the season would be w- one of the worst defenses in the league. They've been playing a little bit better than that, um, but yeah, I can't see the Colts coming in there and uh, putting enough pressure on um, Ben Roethlisberger or or the that, other guy. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> definitely uh, <laughs> that's definitely my issue. Is that I just yeah. think the the Colts' defense against that Steelers' offense. I mean, we saw that when you take uh, Antonio Brown out of the game, limit him to just six catches. Oh, they'll just throw to Marcus Wheaton for 201 yards and the touchdown. Yeah, they've got those kind of options there, and that yeah. that's what kind of leans it towards Steelers on Sunday night football. Then. Monday Night Football, the division of disgrace, as the 3-8 and eight Dallas Cowboys travel to the 5-6 and six Washington football team. We'd gloss over this game if it wasn't a primetime game, but it is a primetime game. Actually, the NFC East has turned up some good primetime games this year when we've called them as being terrible games on a regular basis. But this is going to be the Matt Castle-led Dallas Cowboys travelling to Washington. Uh, I'm just on that alone. I'm taking Washington. Yeah, I've taken Washington. Um, they were brilliant last week against the Giants. It, the it, the um, last Odell Beckham catch made it flattering for yeah. the for the Giants. In fact, I thought Washington were brilliant. Um, they still have a few issues on with the running game. Um, Matt Jones dropping the ball. Um, Doug Morris. It's not Doug Morris. Alfred Morris. Um, <laughs> not. Yeah, I'm getting my dogs, my running backs mixed up. Alfred Morris. Um, not get not getting anything done. But Jordan Reed has been a monster this season. Yeah, and I, d- I don't understand. Big, big game. I don't understand how people don't understand that when they get in the red zone, do you know what they're going to do? Throw it to Jordan Reed on a slant. They've done it like five times this year already, and it seems to work every frigging time, and yet defences haven't worked out. He's a big guy. He's got great hands. Maybe mark him in the effing red zone. That is my rant. Right, I am wow, done. you really went off on one of them. 
Uh, Should we rattle through the rest of the Sunday games? I think we picked the best of the bunch there. Although there are some good games going on elsewhere. So, as I say, let's rattle through them now. Before we get to Jerry Glanville, our fantastic interview coming up shortly. Uh, Starting off with, and this is a great game. This was my other consideration for the six o'clock games. The six and five Houston Texans, joint top of the AFC South, travelling to the five and six Buffalo Bills, who admittedly have been unlucky recently. I'm intrigued by this one because Shady McCoy has been brilliant in the last few weeks, whereas the... uh, the Texans have surrendered an average 8.8 yard points and 250 total yards during their winning streak, which has been the best in the league since week eight. I mean, a lot of that has to do with that Bengals game where they only conceded like six points, but that is ridiculous. Bill O'Brien has been brilliant. This Texans defense has suddenly showed up and done their thing, and I'm going to pick them to win on the road in Buffalo. Oh, I've gone Buffalo. Ooh. Despite um, Carlos Williams being being out and Shady will be, uh, by all intents and purposes, all by himself in that backfield, um, I think and with Tyrod Taylor returning to a little bit more of fitness, he was a bit banged up uh, last week. Uh, I've got the bills. Uh, I think this, these streaks have to come to an end. Um, Buffalo's a tricky place to go, and I don't see the Texans, apart from... Um, uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and JJ Watt on, on the, either side of the ball. I don't see that they've got enough to trouble the Bills. I'm going Bills. You know how we love to talk about the Bills' defensive front being one of the best in the league? Mm, yeah. JJ Watt has 13.5 sacks this season. Yeah. All four players on the Bills' offensive front have a combined total of 13. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I can't argue, <laughs> I can't argue with that. Uh, that doesn't mean they're a bad team but the Texans defence has just been insanely good over the last four games just to do the comparison they said 8.8 points over the last set over the last four games they were surrendering 28.4 in the first seven games they're surrendering 120 yards less in that time as well and they've not played terrible teams in that period this is a Texans team somebody tweeted last night saying when when the Lions were 20 to zip up somebody tweeted saying are there any team hotter than the Lions in the NFL right now I think you take the Panthers out of that because of their streak but I think when you talk about teams getting hot you talk about teams who didn't look great early in the season getting good the other two are clearly Kansas and the Texans and all three of those teams could be going to the playoffs yeah yeah well actually no what am I talking about the Lions aren't going to the playoffs shut up Will Stupid. Well, I, I blindly agreed with you then Uh, (laughs) and I like that you did that Ollie it shows real gumption well done. And uh, the fact that I wasn't paying any attention to what you were saying. Thanks. Uh, we've got a couple of teams with reverse records playing in the AFC North in the Ohio Bowl. As the Cincinnati Bengals at 9-2 and two travel to the 2-9 and nine Cleveland Browns, who, of course, lost in such horrible fashion on Monday night. They blocked field goal returned by will hill for the touchdown for the ravens they slipped to two and nine the bengals might be without a uh, tight end tyler eifert he's uh, still he missed training again yesterday we don't know what his uh, status is he is the leader of course in touchdowns in the nfl this season uh but it's this is bengals go 10 and 2 the, the browns are a terrible football team do you not think that uh, johnny not johnny uh, andy dalton has got an andy dalton game in him uh, he's he's had one he, already this season. He has I think he, he could be another one yeah. around the corner. He has an Andy Dalton game in him, but as we all know, Mike Patton sucks, and will continue to suck for this game. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm going. I'm going the Bengals as well. Uh, Tyler Eifert, if he comes out of, um, I think he's got a, a slight. Uh, he's got a stinger last week. I think he's got a slight hip issue. Uh, if he comes out of that, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll play. He is that red zone target. Twelve, thirteen touchdowns so, so far on the year. 
leading the NFL, more coming his way. Uh, AJ Green, Bengals have finally managed to, and the Dalton's have, uh, Dalton's finally managed to get him the ball. Marvin Jones, you've got the dual threat of Jeremy Hill and uh, Giovanni Bernard. And I haven't even mentioned the Bengals defense, which are outstanding going up against Austin Davis and Johnny Manziel. Uh, Bengals all the way. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals nine and two travel to the sliding four and seven St. Louis Rams. Uh, four of their wins have come in the NFC West this season. They're three and zero in the division. The Rams and including one of the Cardinals' two losses, of course, in Arizona. That was one of the big surprises of the season. Yeah. That's not happening again. Arizona win in St. Louis. They moved to ten and two as well. I agree. Moving on. Excellent. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons travelling to Tampa Bay to decide who finishes bottom of the... Edit. No, it's not. The, actually, the Bucks, if they win this game, move to 6-6 six and six and will force the Falcons down 6-6 six and six and really become so in contention for that uh, sixth wildcard spot, the second wildcard spot, sixth playoff spot in the NFC. Um, I've been... Obviously, I've said it a lot of times, I've been really impressed with Jameis Winston. He's not turning the ball over anywhere near as much as we do. He's overthrowing receivers too often because of his huge arm and he needs to learn a bit more touch. But Matt Ryan has been possibly one of the most disappointing players of the year for me. If we're doing those kind of end-of-season awards, he'll be right in that mix for that one. You've got Julio Jones on your team. You should be better. He's not better. I'm going to take the Bucks at home. Oh, sneaky. I've also taken the Bucks at home. Um, I, even with Devontae Freeman coming back, uh, who, uh, you know, Devontae Freeman has been brilliant uh, he was, he's been unavailable the last two games. Brilliant this game, but uh, he'll be brilliant again in this game. But the Buccaneers have been have been absolutely outstanding. Um, if, and if that happens, just to point out, if that happens, the Falcons will have slipped to zero and three in division, whilst the Bucks move to three and one in division. So they will move above them in the wild card race on both head to head record and divisional record. The Falcons have just uh, what what happened, Atlanta? I really like Dan Quinn, and I think it's a team who can go on to do well beyond this. But oh, just so disappointing. Well, they're they're a defense that yielded an NFC low average of seventy eight point six rushing yards in the first seven games. Well, that's gone up to just under 129 in the last four. And they gave up 191 against um, against uh, Minnesota last weekend. 151 going to the Adrian Peterson. That's where their problems have lied. That rush, um, that rush defense, leaving their defense on the, on the field for too long. Matt Ryan then having to force stuff. And he's been fallible when he's trying to force stuff. Stupid interceptions, stupid turnovers, buccaneers all the way. If the Chicago Bears are going to reach 500 for the first time in more than a year, uh, they're five and six at the moment. They've got to stop their struggles at home. Their early season streak, they lost, I think, three on the bounce to start the season. They've won three of their last four, but all of those victories came on the road. They've dropped 11 of their last 14 at Soldier Field. They're one and four at Soldier Field this season, where they'll play three of the final five. They've lost their last two here to Minnesota and Denver by a combined just five points. Do you know how you get off that sort of slide? No. You face the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> hey, yes, who apparently have front office problems and who apparently this week have been kicking the tyres on one Johnny Manziel. What? Yeah, you knew this already. I told you this on Facebook and you laughed at me a lot. 
Yeah, I did. I did. But I was just <laughs> doing that uh, radio thing of setting you up. I really, yeah, I know you were, but I couldn't hold back. Vic Fangio, of course, the former 49ers <laughs> coordinator, has been so good with this Bears defense in the last few weeks and his movement of Shane McClellan and getting that pass rush going, and they are going to hammer us. Um, it's, it's nothing worse, no worse feeling than losing to James Dixon's Bears or Jay Cutler's Bears, but it's what's going to happen. I think the Bears will move to 6-6. Six and six. What a horrible weekend this will be for you, because, of course, uh, Queen's Park Rangers beat Reading last night uh, with a 1-0 victory. Last-minute goal from Neda Manua, the chief, who I'm going to try next time I go to QPR. I've told you all this before, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going to get a chieftain headrest. That's enough of your noise. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. But I'm going the 49ers in this because I can never pick the Bears. Uh, excellent. I love that. And actually, do you know what? The 49ers had one of their best performances of the season against Arizona. Uh, they gave up the big drive towards the end, which killed the game off. But they played very, very well against a very good team. Uh, so not, you know, a bad football team, uh, better at home. They're on the road in this one. But there is signs of life in San Francisco. Let's just clean house in the offseason and move on. Uh, this game looked uh, really intriguing when it was played on Thursday Night Football just two weeks ago. However, the Jacksonville Jaguars red zone woes cost them a win last week. They slipped to 4-7. and seven. Two games back in the AFC South, they travelled to their AFC South rivals, the Tennessee Titans, who are at 2-9. and nine. Um, I am going to take... The Jags won three of their last four, including that win over the Titans on that Thursday night football game. They outgained the Chargers, but reached the end zone just once. They they didn't play badly. They just keep not being aggressive. The, the offensive play calling when they get in the red zone is not good enough. Even when they get in opposition territory, it's not good enough. I like the Titans pass rush a little bit. I like Marcus Mariota. I'm going to take the Titans. Oh, but you don't like it. And I can understand why, because... I quite like the Jaguars in this. They're one up on, on the Titans so far this season. And I think that is a very, very key thing as well because uh, the, those Titans will remember losing that, uh, that horrendous colour rush game. Um, and the Jaguars, they're smarting after losing against the Chargers. I think they'll address some of the issues that they had there. Um, no Alan Hearns after that horrendous looking um, uh, concussion I- issue from last week. So uh, Alan Robinson will be um, the major threat. Julius Thomas. 100 yards and a touchdown. Great game last yeah, week. Yeah, only the second time in Jaguars history that that has happened, which is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. The tight end has gone 100 yards. It says a lot about Mar- um, Mercedes Lewis. Uh, but uh, Marquise, Lee, Marquise Lee will come in. Look, uh, we've for, talked enough about the Jags, Ollie. You're taking the Jaguars. I'm going Jaguars. I'm taking the Titans. I'm probably going to regret it, but there we go. Uh, I think whoever loses this terrible game should have to wear the Colour Rush uniforms for the rest of the season. The Ravens travel to the Dolphins. This is probably the worst game of the weekend. And terrible teams. The Dolphins uh, are 0-5 in division. I didn't realise. So terrible. 4-7 overall. The Ravens picked up to 4-7 thanks to that late win last week. And I think that the Ravens pick up from that and get a couple more wins and they're going to start that off with the Dolphins tomorrow. No, Dolphins win for me. 
Um, they fired Bill Lazor. That was a key, key thing that they needed to do. Um, Lamar Miller will get going on the ground. We'll see a cameo, first touchdown from a, from Jay Ajayi in the NFL. I'm going a Dolphins victory. And finally, the 9-2 and two Denver Broncos travel to the 3-8 and eight San Diego Chargers, who improved to 3-8 and eight last week with that win over the Jags, despite being outgained. As I said, the Broncos back on track with Big Brock in at quarterback. They, of course, ended the Patriots' winning streak on Sunday night. Thank I you very much, Denver, just, by the way. Yeah, well... Thank you, Denver. That clapping sounds terrible over Skype. Uh, (laughs) uh, The fourth-year quarterback has been more efficient than Manning since taking over, posting an 88.4 passer rating compared to Manning's NFL worse, 67.6. He's led the Broncos to wins in each of his first two career starts on the back of of back-to-back losses with Manning at the helm. This is the Broncos to lose. They won't lose it. They will win it. They will advance to 10-2. I cannot disagree with you there, sir, my dear sir. Uh, CJ Anderson, another big day for him. Denver Broncos, all uh, the way. What's odd is uh, we've picked, the, there are a, a number of 9-2 and two teams this week. There's the Cardinals, there's the Bengals, there's the Broncos. All of them are on the road, and we've picked all of them to go to 10-2. and two. I'm just double-checking to make sure I've not missed out someone when going through my 9-2 and two teams. Uh, Broncos. You are correct. Bengals. Uh, <laughs> yeah, three nine and two teams, all of them on the road, all of them against opponents who, before the season, you would have said had a chance to potentially beat them. They were building, maybe not the Browns as much, but certainly the other two. And yet we've picked them all to go ten and two. So hashtag bold prediction. I get one of those three, if not two of those three, wrong, and somebody slips to nine and three. Who do you think's got the biggest chance? I think um, the Rams of. Have- can always they're so Jekyll and Hyde again I think they could um, upset Arizona again yeah there we go that that's probably would be my pick as well okay uh, let's uh, hear them from uh, a guy who uh, was head coach in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons and the Houston Oilers one of the orchestrators of one of the best defenses of all time whilst in Atlanta the grits blitz we talk about that we talk about Brett Favre the man that his team drafted back in 19 and he puts to bed some of those uh, some of those myths that uh, he never wanted to draft Favre he just never wanted to draft Favre in the first round they managed to get him in the second he was disappointed they traded him away I'm giving away all the secrets. Listen to it. It's a really fun interview. Here he is, Jerry Glanville. So uh, joining us on the line now, you'll remember him as the former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons and the Houston Oilers, uh, the orchestrator of one of the all-time great defences and uh, always a fun guy to follow in the league and out of it. Uh, Jerry Glanville, how are you today, sir? Fantastic. Really good. Great stuff. So just first of all, um, tell us, we know uh, you kind of dabbled with uh, some college. We, We know you spent some time in Hawaii. What are you doing now? Well, uh, lately what I do is I go to uh, three universities a year and I teach the coaches. I coach the coaches and uh, I coach the coaches, uh, put in the defensive game plan, put in a uh, a style of uh, special teams, uh, stuff like that. Last year we were thrilled. We had the three of the teams we went to, uh, each one of them won nine games in a row, so we thought we got something done. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad return. Uh, we're, we're probably... Uh, I don't coach the players, I just coach the coaches. 
Fantastic. Great stuff. Well, um, I want to ask you about uh, coaching and about your career and everything else as we go along. But um, I, I'm sure uh, my colleague spoke to you earlier and we're doing a piece in the upcoming Gridiron magazine uh, regarding Brett Favre, obviously a man who you spent a year with in Atlanta. So I'd like to start off just asking a few questions about that and then we'll crack on with some other stuff, um, if that's OK sure. with you. So, um, I mean, starting off uh, back in 91, the, the team uh, drafted Brett Favre and you made it relatively clear that that wasn't the move that you personally would have made at the time no that's that's not true that's incorrect oh, I didn't okay. want to take him yeah I didn't want to take him in the first round they wanted me to draft him in the first round but I had to have another receiver I had a good quarterback I had Chris Miller but I didn't have anybody for the quarterbacks to throw to didn't have enough receivers so I I said no I wanted the receiver which uh, was out of Colorado and Pritchard and I took Pritchard the first round. I like Farr, but I didn't think he was worth it. And I think everybody thought he was a first rounder. Well, he was still sitting there in the second round, so we got both people. And everybody thought I didn't want him. I didn't want him in the first round. So it's, it's, I had it. It's one of those. You have kind of, two good quarterbacks. If you got two good quarterbacks and no receivers, it doesn't make sense. You have to. You have to draft to fill a need. You can't be drafting the best athlete. If you don't fill needs, you don't get any better. So uh, he came in, as you say, you already had a good quarterback there. Um, would your preference have been to have sat him for the whole year? I know he had a few snaps in there, but obviously he ends uh, up getting traded after that first year. Do you think he could have stuck around and, and spent more time backing up and maybe had a successful career in Atlanta? Oh, I think he would have been successful anywhere where they could have... Uh, he just—he was a young uh, wild horse. He just needed to settle down and find out what was important, and uh, find out that you're not in college anymore, and you can't <laughs> be playing uh, bula bula parties. You got—you got to go to work, and uh, that all would have happened. But it was a matter of patience, and uh, I guess we ran out of patience. Were there any incidents in particular that you think happened during that year that convinced Atlanta that they thought he wasn't worth the trouble of keeping him around? No, it wasn't the trouble. It was the commitment. Okay. Uh, you, you have to decide uh, the commitment. You know, how, how much are they going to work if you can come to work every day and uh, be on time? And I didn't have a lot of roles, but one of them was you, you had to be on time. And uh, he wasn't much on being on time. Uh, if you come late to everything, then you you got to start over every time somebody comes late. So I'm not big on... Uh, I tell him that if you come two minutes late and there's 50 people in the room, you wasted 100 minutes. You didn't waste two minutes, you wasted 100, two times 50. And uh, I don't do much waiting around. I think that's quite interesting because a lot of people want to point fingers and, and say, look at situations like that are happening nowadays with someone, say, like Johnny Manziel in, in Cleveland and say that the standard was different maybe before. But from what it sounds like to you, it sounds like the standard was always there. Just maybe uh, as the media, we didn't have the same level of coverage to know that those guys were turning up late or having those problems. Well, I think I think probably the cell phones have changed uh, the knowledge for the average person walking around. Uh, Farm was the only guy that I've ever coached in my coaching career that didn't show up for the team picture. <laughs> and 
uh, you know, he just he just didn't have any concept that he was no longer in college. Now, did we see athletic ability and talent without question? Am I thrilled that he went on and had a great career? It makes me very proud. Uh, but you got to decide if uh, you won't follow the rules. Who is bigger than the team? And if you don't have a lot of rules, you got to follow them. And, uh, be on time. That's the rule. Be on time. Or, uh, my rule is be late, uh, be left. If you're late for the bus, we leave. We don't wait on you. Great. Uh, I, I wonder as well, um, there's a, an our wives tell that I wonder if it's true or not, that you used to have uh, $100 bets whether or not Favre could throw the ball into the third deck of stadiums during warm-ups. Is that true? Well, him and Billy Joe Tolliver, he was a backup quarterback. Billy Joe Tolliver had an arm like Favre's, and they, after our Friday, our Saturday walkthrough at the Visitor Stadium, we do a walkthrough on Saturday, uh, they would line up, and those two would, would see who could throw it into the press box in the upper deck. <laughs> and uh, they both had the gun. They could put it up there. It was fun to watch. We all, after we did our practice, we all watched it. I don't remember betting, but I do remember the ball sailing up there. And uh, you, you mentioned it about the uh, about you being proud of him going on and having such a, a great career beyond Atlanta. Obviously, we've just seen him have his jersey retired in Green Bay last weekend. Fantastic ceremony. We know uh, he's on the Hall of Fame semi-finalist list this year. Do you think he's a first ballot guy? Do you think he's someone who's going to uh, walk in at first attempt? I think if not, then they should just tear down the Hall of Fame. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Joe Cocker's not in it. And the Beatles said, if Joe Cocker's not in the Rock and Roll of Fame, then the fact that we're in there doesn't mean anything. And I think that's the same with Farber. If he's not in there, then if anybody that is, it shouldn't mean much to him. Fantastic. Uh, how did he compare with, there's an, uh, another guy who you went on to coach in your time in Houston and uh, a guy who we've had on the show a few times, good friend of ours at Gridiron, is uh, Warren Moon. How, does, how did Favre in his early days compare with working with Warren? Warren was the consummate. Warren never missed a practice. Warren was never late for a meeting. Uh, Warren was never uh, not on time. He, there was never a time when he fell asleep in a meeting there was never I mean Warren was a professional uh, of course I got him when he was older he he, he wasn't a rookie you know, and, uh, Warren had played uh, in Canadian uh, football league and then Warren went on from Canadian football league uh, to the Houston Oilers and then he was with uh, Hugh Campbell so you know you're talking about a young man and a grown up that, you know, that was the difference <laughs> now uh, they both could throw the ball through a car wash and never get the ball wet. They both could gun it. And I, I, I think that's kind of what uh, what stands out to us when we talk about the situations now with someone like Johnny Manziel, with someone like that, is that it's so frustrating when you see that level of talent and you don't see the commitment. Was there ever anyone else you worked with who you thought could have been a great who never quite did it or vice versa, probably made it there purely on the effort rather than the talent? Oh, we had a lot of them that made it on. We had a lot of seventh-round draft picks that became tremendous football players because they were so dedicated. And and, and I think probably Favre, you know, probably two, three years after he left us, you know, he, 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 
he switched over and became a, he, he wouldn't have been as good as he was without dedication, hard work. Uh, he was just, uh, just a young, you know, just a young college guy, and he still had that college mentality. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you just, you just got to keep trying to switch him over. And I think the same with Johnny Manziel. Uh, if Johnny gets cut or traded, I predict he'll grow up and, and become a player. Uh, I think if he's, let's say he goes to the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, I, I think maybe the light goes on. He goes, I'm not in college anymore. I got to behave. We'd keep our, fir- our fingers firmly crossed that that happens because we do love the talent. Uh, I've got to ask you uh, questions, obviously, about your career as well, though, because we can't get you on without talking about some, some of the aspects of it. And, and uh, first of all, I wanted to ask about the grit blitz because uh, certainly the, that kind of no-name defense beyond Claude Humphrey, uh, you set records in that defense. Only 9.2 points per game allowed in a season is still stands as a record nowadays. Do you get frustrated when you hear people talk about the 85 Bears and the 76 Steelers and maybe like the 2002 Bucks and they don't put that fantastic Atlanta defense in that top five or six? Because for me, it's one of the best ever. Well, luckily the NFL uh, NFL, uh, network does it when the NFL films has it rated the third best in the history of football. I I, I truly believe they were the best. Not only because they were so good on defense, but our offense struggled so much. We we played a lot. I I tell everybody our longest run on offense that year was a huddle break. The MVP... The most valuable player on the team voted by the players was the punter. Uh, so, so we offensively, we were pretty, as good as we were, we couldn't do anything on offense. So if we'd had an offense along with that group uh, and won more games, and I think everybody would know what I know, uh, just a tremendous attitude there, the unbelievable hitting uh Unbelievable tenacity on that football team. Uh, I never forget Joe Namath got traded to the Rams. That was the quarterback for the L.A. Rams mm. in the opener, and Lehman Bennett was our head coach. And after the game, Lehman Bennett came in the locker room. He goes, "Jerry, Jerry, I'm in the press conference over here." I goes, "Yes, sir." He goes, "They just asked me, did we blitz Joe Namath every single play?" <laughs> And I says, Coach, I can guarantee you that's a lie. I can remember two plays we did not blitz. <laughs> and we did that for we did that for a year. We blitzed everybody, every play for the entire season. For people who aren't familiar with it, was it uh, just pure, because obviously the blitz was uh, the key part of it, uh, how do you build a defense like that where you're going to look to blitz every single play, bring that level of pressure every single play? Because I think nowadays when people see a great defense, they expect it to be balanced on every level, but it is fantastic. Like, everyone loves watching a defense that gets after the quarterback play after play after play. Well, we did not blitz inside backers. Uh, yeah, you see that today where they get up in there. We blitzed uh, people out of the secondary, and then we blitzed uh, outside linebackers all the time. Outside linebackers were coming most of the time. Uh, And our inside linebacker, we didn't want to be blitzing the inside backers because if you run the ball on the blitz and get away from the from the blitz, you got nobody over the top. We always inside backers were playing. uh, 
Uh, playing playing the run if you, if you uh, tried to escape the blitz with a running game. So our inside backers didn't come much, came very little. But uh, the secondary, uh, you know, we blitzed the uh, safeties in the corners, and we always were blitzing one or at least uh, sometimes two outside backers. And when you look at the, the NFL now and you see just how – I particularly I think about the back of it. I think about uh, the outside guys, inside guys, the safeties. Everyone is so athletic, and you see the speed. I think particularly of the Seahawks uh, linebackers. Everyone on that uh, team seems to run about four four forty. So quick as well. Uh, do you think if you were coaching in the NFL on, uh, as a defensive coordinator now, you'd look at how those players play, and you just think about how much fun you could have with it? Well, I believe that uh, every time there's a pressure situation, whether it's a third down, a fourth down, uh, my my whole philosophy is if it's a pressure situation, bring more pressure. Uh, I don't want the quarterback from the other team, the punter or the kicker, to ever have a play where they feel relaxed and comfortable. I want the quarterback, the punter, and kicker, even if they're successful in their play, to go, wow, I'm glad that's over. Because we're going to bring pressure on those three positions every single snap. And it's kind of funny. Coaches will ask me to come to them, and they'll say, "Uh, what down is your best blitz down? And I look at them and cock my head and say, every down, every play, bring them all. Fantastic. Uh, Do you watch much of the, uh, I know you still pay attention to college, do you watch much of the National Football League now? Is there a a defence where you look at the coordinator or you look at the team or you look at what they're doing and you're really impressed or really like what there's a particular team is doing at the moment? I like the Panthers uh, and and believe it or not, the the Raiders are getting better and I like the... uh, the Broncos and all, all three of those teams pressure you and come after you. Uh, I don't like uh, uh, teams that play bend, don't break, and they just uh, they just sit back and play. They're, they're not much. Uh, I'd rather watch paint dry than, than <laughs> waste my vision on those people. Uh, I like full press bump and run corners which when we set that record, we weren't good enough to do that. We, our corners had to be off. Our corners, believe it or not, on that team were not great players. Um, the, the Atlanta team, when I came back in, in 91, I had better corners. I had Deion Sanders and McKire, and we played full press bump and run, and uh, you'd like that. I guess the fun I had, on three different jobs, when I took the job, we were last in the league in defense. In the very first year, we went from last to first and didn't change any players. So I, I think uh, that sort of sets the tone on what, what we got done. So it's all about being aggressive. That's the key thing. <laughs> well, there's there's nothing great ever happens sitting back, and it's I don't know what the speed limit in the, in England is when you're driving a car, but some places around here it's 55 miles an hour and I've always said nothing great ever happened at 55 miles an hour uh, you, you gotta you gotta take the pedal and put it down on the floor and go as fast as you can go I, I want to uh, kind of finish off Jerry I know you've been really uh, good with your time but uh, there, there was a, a 
famously when you were in the league you spoke about uh, there was the incident with the officiating where you talked about the NFL being not for long and a lot of people talk about it nowadays being the no fun league I think what my memories are of watching you is, is having fun with the fans the officials other coaches there was the famous tickets incidents with Elvis and James Dean and do you think the fun has gone out of the game a little bit nowadays that people don't spark those rivalries and have that kind of level of, uh, of fun on and off the field well, my philosophy was uh, take your job real seriously. Uh, don't take yourself too serious. And I think what's happened is, uh, you know, I watched like the guy at the Eagles. Uh, he pretty much thinks it's all about it. He takes himself way too serious, Kelly. And and uh, uh, you don't see anybody having a good laugh and enjoying it. And uh, uh, we won a lot of games and had a couple of laughs along the way. And, and I think what you do is uh, do your job, but uh, don't be afraid to enjoy yourself along the way. Is there, are there any particular memories of those rivalries? I think of the likes of the with Sam Weiss, Mike Schottenheimer, Chuck Knoll. We used to have a lot of fun watching those games. Oh my gosh, they were so many. And you know, in, the, in those days, that was the AFC Central. There's four teams in the league, and at the league meetings. They would always call up every division and take a coach's picture. Like the uh, uh, this NFC Central was Detroit and uh, Atlanta and, and the Green Bay and Minnesota and all those for the coaches. They never called for an AFC Central photograph with Sam, uh, Marty, and uh, uh, Chuck and myself. They, we, they, that wouldn't have been a very nice scene. <laughs> uh, and you're like this. We beat Marty in the playoffs in uh, Cleveland. Uh, we went into Cleveland and won the game six days after they beat us up there in the last game. Yeah. We were both in the playoffs. Whoever won the last game would host the other team in the playoffs. Well, they beat us. We go back six days later and beat him. And in my press conference, the the people busted in the newspaper from California. They said, Jerry, Jerry, you got to feel terrible. I said, I do. We just won a playoff game on the road. I said, you got to feel terrible. They just fired Marty for losing to you. And I says, well, I'll shock you. If Marty beat me, they probably would have fired me. That's the name of the game. You just uh, don't feel sorry for me. You just beat everybody you can beat. <laughs> brilliant look Jerry it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and I really appreciate your time and I'm sure there's a lot more we could we could touch on as well so we'd love to speak to you again at some time in the future and do, do you think uh, I, I know you're enjoying your going into colleges and the stuff you're doing now can you see yourself ever coaching again yes yeah, I hope so fantastic well if you ever do uh, we, we want to call That's we want to get you on the phone whatever happens either way <laughs> well, don't don't call or come see me unless you go down to Cornwall and bring me a, a pasty I'm, I'm dying for a Cornish pasty I, I, I reckon we can manage that if we're over uh, if we're over anywhere near your neck of the woods in the next year I'll make sure a pasty comes your way I'm waiting I'm waiting I love them <laughs> good man Jerry really appreciate your time Thanks. Great stuff from Jerry Glanville. Just left it there in its full. Um, there were a couple of times where I apologise. The line wasn't so great, so I may have interrupted him or come across him. And we there were a couple of crossed wires in there. But you know what? I didn't want to edit it out. It's like eight o'clock on Friday morning. I want to go to bed. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, but it was a wonderful interview. I really enjoyed listening to it. Uh, yeah, thanks, buddy. Uh, so, <laughs> otherwise, Ollie, is there anything you'd like to finish off the podcast by adding? 
Mate, it's my first weekend off ever. I've wow. been working nights for three and a half years. It's my first weekend off. Um, what are you doing I tonight? Well, if I wasn't on... Uh, I'm going to the cinema. I don't know whether it's a date, but I'm going to the cinema tomorrow with a girl. Tomorrow? Uh, yeah, so otherwise I would have come and done the all-day, all-night Star Wars marathon. Wasn't going to talk about that on the podcast. Didn't want to seem like too much of a geek. We're watching all five films on Saturday. I say all five films because episode one is dead to me. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Well, so I might, I might come in, I might drop in and out. I don't know. I will, I will have to let you know. What about tonight? We're going to this new bar, Gorilla in Tooting. Sarah's away for the weekend. She's in Dublin. While the cat's away, I get drunk. <laughs> uh, well, she's away getting drunk. So, yeah, I might come down, see oh, what it's all about. So flippant. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, otherwise, thank you very much for listening. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show, as always. At Gridiron on Twitter. Let us know your feedback, positive or negative. Do give us a rating on iTunes as well as all the other locations. Uh, keep checking out Sports Travel Tours, sportstraveltours.com. Otherwise, Ollie Hunter, any final thoughts? Go well, Will Gavin. Go well. Thank you very much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. land on some coal plate <laughs> good one uh, it'll fix you or some shit. <laughs> hi everyone it's dev off the radio here we're doing a brand new podcast from lucas aid sport called running the show and i'm sam thompson from made in chelsea hey. i'll be joining annoying slash being overly affectionate with dev for the next 12 weeks as we both take up running for the first time Make sure you join us on all your podcast providers to find out which one of us is killing the training and which one of us is hating every second. Probably me. 